This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. When the bat is away, the family will play. It's episode 382 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and I know that you've been waiting for Gotham Knights, the brand new game that's going to be coming from Warner Brothers Games, and so many fantastic characters that are a part of that. And I got a chance to talk to one of them recently, actually. Sloan Morgan Siegel is on the show this week to talk about playing Tim Drake in Gotham Knights, so, you know, who's his favorite Robin other than Tim Drake? What are those interactions going to be like? How much can he tell us about the game? Probably not a time, but I'll ask him about that, and I know he's a big comic book guy, too. So we're going to dive heavy into some comics with him this week, I guarantee you. Plus, a couple big reviews are going to be happening on the show this week. going to talk about The Witcher, Nightmare of the Wolf. Also, Supergirl's back. I'll talk about that. You know I'm not going to not talk about the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, right? I don't care. How long ago it came out. You're still talking about it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about your reactions to it and a whole bunch more. There's a bunch of other and Arrowverse crossovers coming. There's new DC movies to talk about. So much to get to, as always. I mean, how's that any different, right? So let's start things off by talking to Sloan Morgan Siegel. Let's find out what he can tell us about Gotham Knights. Up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is David Sobolov, voice of Grodd on The Flash and Drax on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You might have heard about a little something called Gotham Knights that's going to be coming. It's a really cool story, actually, with, with so many great characters from Gotham City that you're going to love. But And this guy's a part of that and so much more. It's Sloan Morgan Siegel. How you doing, man? Hey, man, I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing good, man. Doing good. So, I mean, for for anybody on the video side that's seeing this, you know, of course, a podcast audio, you can't see this. So he's got this huge stack of like graphic <laughs> novels and like big hardbound DC editions behind him. It's insane. <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's a whole nother stack behind all of these stacks. 
So I'm 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 a collector, all right. I'm wearing you know my superhero. I shirt. have that exact shirt. I'm you not even kidding. I have that exact shirt. I'm just not Absolutely. wearing it right now. It's it's really crazy. Yeah, I was like, eh, I'm gonna sit in front of my comic books. May as well wear a comic book shirt as well. I was just watching X Men, the animated series. Nice, um, nice. <laughs> Like while I was eating breakfast and like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm as nerdy as you can get. All right. Well, here, well, here's the question then. I know this is going to be a tough one because it always is for me. What's that comic that first kind of caught your eye and got you hooked when you really first started getting into it? Shockingly enough, Hawkman. Wow. Let's see another Hawkman fan. Yeah. I love Hawkman, especially the recent run, the like recent run of Hawkman. Mm -hmm. I forget who the writer and artist are. Venditti had Um, been doing it. I don't know if that's who you're talking about. Maybe the the most recent run was like fantastic. Like I could not put the book down and also like appearances from Adam Strange and the Adam and like, I love Hawkman and the Adam's relationship. It's really cool Mm -hmm. what they've been developing. Right. Yeah, I just, I picked up a Hawkman comic. I don't even know what run it was. Maybe it was the death of Hawkman. I don't know which, well, I, I, maybe it was Savage Hawkman. I, I can't remember. But either way, it was, I was in a, like a collectible store because I always liked action figures. I started liking action figures. You know, I collected those and I saw this, this, this long box um, with comic books and my, my sister was with me. And she was like, we got to get you into comic books. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we looked at the long box and I saw Hawkman and I was like, that is so cool. Uh-huh. And so I picked that up and that's what got me hooked. Man, you and I are just right here. <laughs> right? I started with action figures too. This is crazy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my action figure collection still downstairs. It's funny. It's I, like, I have a I feeling we can go we get into that. Okay. Well, who was your, do you remember your first one then? Your first action first figure? Action figure? I was big Transformers guy. Yes. Um, so I collected, I have the entire Beast Wars collection. So you're really I, excited about what's coming then, if that's Oh the my gosh, yeah, in um, uh, <laughs> three of the Netflix show. Oh my gosh, yeah, I was watching the first one, and it took me a little bit to get into it, because I was trying to get used to the style, mm-hmm. and then also not Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime. Yeah, that's hard, I get it. Yeah, which nothing against the actor that's playing Optimus right now, it's just like, I mean, you hear Optimus, you think Peter Cullen. No doubt, yeah. Um, yeah, but the guy, the guy that's playing him now, once again, I'm blanking on names. He's doing really, really great. I also love the, I love the cast of Transformers that they put in the series, like, like the, the different ones. And, and also the really edgy take on Bumblebee kind of threw me off. I at know. First. I like, I was like, really, we're going that route. And then I really fell for it. But no, I'm really excited for that too, especially because Dinobot is like my favorite character. Mm-hmm. That arc is like, it's the best redemption arc of all time. Prove me wrong. Like, it's, it's, it's incredible, man. I mean, you're, hey, you're not going to get me to argue with you. Right yeah, here. like he literally he saves the human race. Like Predacon turned maximal. Yeah, I know my stuff. But uh, no, I was collecting Transformers. The very first one I ever had was a Starscream, like one move action figure. Nice. It was like, it was like one of those, like you unfold it and it's no longer a jet. And uh, that was my first one. <laughs> I love how you went Decepticon first, too. That's very oh, yeah. villainous on your part. Bad guys are always cooler. They always have cool. Well, Starscream, like, too. I mean, if you're going to pick one, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I loved um, Transformers Armada was, like, the series. I loved the Minicons. That, those were, like, the coolest thing to me. It was, like, all the little ones. But I watched the Transformers animated film. You know the one. Uh, I've seen that a hundred times. I could quote every line. Uh, and for those fans out there, uh, Ba Weep Grana Weep Ninibon. Uh, nice. is the universal greeting. I, I shall now greet to you all. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's yeah, awesome. Also, man. Orson Welles is Unicron. I'll, I'll never get over Yeah, let's, let's just wrap our heads around that for just a yeah, second. Yeah, right? I mean, like, <laughs> hey, he was like, you want me to do what? And then he's like, okay. <laughs> Seriously, man. No doubt. No doubt. So let's actually talk about Gotham Knights for just a second because sure. it's, it's a really interesting story. I mean, it takes place after the death of Bruce Wayne. So, I mean, you're a longtime gamer too. I know that. So... How excited were you to kind of be a part of something that really hasn't been done before? And that's saying a lot about DC. Well, 
as a fan of DC, clearly, it, it blew my mind because these are characters that have long been deserving of a spotlight. To step into the shoes of these characters is like really cool as, as a gamer but then, and, and as a fan of everything. But as like now playing one of the characters, I mean, it's a dream come true. I mean, you could not have picked a bigger fan <laughs> to play the character. So I, I did all the research necessary and I'm trying to do it as much justice as I can, pun intended, I guess. Yeah, it's it's a dream come true. I, mean, I really think it's going to be awesome. I think Tim Drake's such an interesting character, too, because he's in, he's just as intelligent as he's skilled as a fighter. So, I mean, he's also a fan favorite, too, so that there's a little something that comes along with yeah. that. So how did you approach playing him, actually? Because, I mean, not a whole lot of people have. I, I, I looked at all the source material, and I looked at who he was as a person, and I looked at the material they gave me, and I kind of tried to make all one one big marriage of it all. Well, I think, in my opinion, he's the best Robin, right? Like, you could say Dick and Jason are, like, great Robins, but but they're not. They're great Nightwing. They're great Red Hood. But Tim is, like, the Robin. And then, obviously, Damien comes into the picture, but I'm not a big fan of Damien. <laughs> it depends on the iteration, honestly. I just wouldn't but... say that to Damien, of course, but, you know. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, kill me. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway, no. So so as, as, a, as approaching the character, I tried to keep him as youthful as possible while not making him stupid because, obviously, he's super intelligent. And while he may not get most you know social cues because he's too busy being in his head i'm not excluding that youthfulness so so he's definitely still a kid but he takes his responsibility seriously and he takes the mantle of robin seriously just as he does in the comics i know you can't talk about like who's actually in the game but when you were approaching getting ready to play this i mean your head had to be filled with oh if if i get to face off with this villain that would be so awesome or this group of villains was there were there any groups or villains without of course revealing anything that you were really hoping, man, I really hope that they're in the game. I really honestly, hope I get to play honestly, against them. I think I'm going to have to, I think I'm going to have to omit this question because anything I say is going to be talked about as like, well, well, well maybe this or that. So I, I can't answer well, that. We'll just but assume, we'll just assume they're all in the to. game then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we'll do. <laughs> yeah. No, I, like, yeah, there's an I endless want list to, of possibilities. Like, oh, but he didn't say this one. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no I'm doubt, a huge, no I'm a huge, huge villain fan, obviously, yeah. because like, I don't know, what makes a good hero is a really good villain. And as far as rogue galleries go, Batman certainly has an, an extensive one. I mm -hmm. mean, I know a lot of people say like Spider-Man and The Flash have like really good rogue galleries, but as far as rogues that have been explored, I would say Batman's is the most fleshed no doubt. out. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know, because Spider-Man's, that, that is a big statement, because Spider-Man does have some really fleshed out. I don't know. If you're going to stack it up against whole... anybody, though, Batman's the one to do it, I think. So yeah, yeah. I think okay. that that's too huge. I hand in hand, you know? Let's talk about this, then. Not And not even necessarily really related to the game itself, because we've talked about there's been multiple Robins, and you obviously picked out who your favorite Robin was, but what's your favorite kind of Robin-Robin dynamic like is it like man i really love it when when you get to play uh, off of like red hood and tim drake or you get to play off of you know for, for dick grayson and tim drake do you have a I, favorite I love, like robin interaction yeah i love getting to play off of uh steven o young who's uh red hood i love i love getting to play off steven it's 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 really fun we we have a lot of cool stuff did you guys get to record together at all or was it was this all done no, virtually yeah before the pandemic we were filming in person we were doing the motion capture and the facial capture and everything and and that was like the coolest thing in the world. And then obviously when travel shut down, we had to start doing it remote. So now we have body doubles who are doing uh, all of our 
physical work and then we're doing the vocals and everything but but yeah so so now it's like a combination of us and and the other actors as well who are doing a spectacular job but also to add on the question i am having a blast acting with everybody they're all fantastic no doubt yeah i just like i particularly love those interactions because i'm a red hood fan that's my like out of the bat family that's my favorite character (laughs) so i actually cosplayed as him once oh awesome I love it. If you were going to go incognito, man, that's the character to pick. (laughs) So you told me who your Robin was. Who's your Batman? And I'm talking actors now, like, or you can go animated series. You can go anything animated, live action, video games. Who's your Batman? Because everybody has one. I mean, Kevin Conroy. Yeah. It's so difficult for me to not hear. Because obviously... Well, it's like it's like your favorite doctor, right? In Doctor Who, it's mm-hmm. like your favorite doctor is always your first doctor. It's it's so difficult to then see a new one and be like, ah, now they're my favorite because they they hold such a special place in your heart. I believe Kevin Conroy was, was the voice of Batman in Justice League Unlimited, right? I'm pretty sure he was. Yeah, yeah and that was my that that and the he was also in the Brave and the Bold. Maybe yeah, no. I don't know if he was Brave and the Bold. I think it was just it was one or the other. Yeah, well, one or the other. Either one. One of those was my first introduction to Batman. And so that's why Kevin Conroy would be my favorite. Is like, I, he was the first voice I heard. And so I'm like, oh, like, like that's him to me. It's like Peter Cullen is Optimus, you know? It's like, no doubt. he started as that. And even if you didn't hear, like, like if you didn't hear him first, maybe, maybe he wouldn't be your favorite. But since that was the first voice you heard, that's what you associate it with, you know? So here, here's something that I was thinking about, because you were actually, I was told you're writing a fiction novel, right now i'll I'll ask you about that here in a second but there's a lot of actors that are actually getting to write comics nowadays so if you get a chance if dc came to you and said look sloan we want you to write some we want you to write something in in the batman realm who would you want to write oh man that's a really good question wow i've never thought about the batman part of dc as far as what i would write because i never thought i would ever get to that point you know what okay. i mean, I, I mean if, writer at heart. if you want to go outside of batman if i mean unless you unless we've made it clear that it would be hawkman <laughs> yeah well i mean it'd be cool to write hawkman but there's only so many ways you could do it right like i i would really like to write superman actually Ooh. like if i if i had the opportunity to write like a big dc title i would love to write superman and then i would love to i don't know i would love to take the man of steel and just break him and then have him build back up again. You know, just, just like a typical story would go. I mean, you take the invulnerable person and you make them as vulnerable as possible without making them, I don't know, because usually to make the invulnerable people vulnerable, you take their family or their friends or their loved ones, right. and that's where their heart is. But if mm-hmm. you make them vulnerable physically or mentally or emotionally, like I, I feel like that'd be a really cool story. So maybe, maybe that, maybe I'd introduce a new villain entirely. But as far as Batman goes, man, I'd love to write a Scarecrow story. That'd oh, that would cool. be cool. Yeah, like maybe I maybe write like Red Hood and Scarecrow or something. I guess there's a lot of fears to play off of there. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> I like that. What you guys can't see if you're not again if you're not seeing this on videos is that Sloan actually has like the partial Superman curl in the front of his hair. I don't even know if he did that on purpose or if totally that's instinctive natural. on you. <laughs> that's yeah, it'd be fun. It'd be fun if one day I could, I, I don't know. I never thought I could play Superman or Superboy or anything. Well, there are cosplay cool. opportunities there too. So, you true, know, it, it, once people see it on social media, man, it goes viral and, and you never know what mm-hmm. can happen in the, in this day and age. So you just never know about that sort of thing. But, but talk about a little bit about this, this fiction novel that you're writing. Cause it, you know, maybe this is the gateway to you being able to 
write comics oh, at some yeah. point. What made you come you up with know. the idea for this novel? I'm working on a couple of things. I'm working on a novel, and I'm working on a comic. Oh. Uh, so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to find an artist right now, and then once I get an artist and get the ball rolling on that, then I can start taking it to publishers. But yeah, yeah, I, I actually, I was in my local comic book shop, and I was talking with the owner, Andy, and I was like, yeah, I'm trying to come up with a story, something, something simple, something to be like my gateway in. He was like, maybe you should write something without any dialogue. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, it'd be super simple. And, you know, pretty much an entire visual, entirely visual story. And I was like, wow, that's actually a really good idea. So I started doing it, but I, I'm too poetic. So I turned this no dialogue story into a very dialogue heavy story. There you go. <laughs> but, with, but amongst the action and everything, like as I'm doing my, my research and everything, obviously someone who's read comics for such a long time, I know how they work. I know how the story ticks. I know how the character arcs are drawn, and I know how over how over many issues you can get the story across. So that was kind of how I came up with the idea for the story. But yeah, I can't wait to share more. It's gonna be awesome. We'll talk about artists in a minute. Well, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. I got yeah, I got yeah. some ideas. Oh, that'd so, be great. Thank you. <laughs> I before that. I let you go, man, if you could put yourself into one comic book book franchise right now, whether it be TV movies or anything like that. Maybe there's a show there or a movie that you really love. Where would you like to put yourself into in the specific world right now? I'd put myself in Doom Patrol. Oh, uh, what a great I'd go to choice. Doom Patrol. I'd play, uh, I'd play Grimsley the Witch Boy in Doom Patrol. That's what <laughs> He's do. even got the role picked out. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I'd do it. Yeah, no, I've thought about it extensively. I'm like, who could I play that would be just crazy? <laughs> it would be awesome. And what's funny is I'm really allergic to cats too. So as I'm like oh. holding Tickle, if I'm sneezing the entire time, I think that would be hilarious. It's uh, a, it, that would be a character trait, man. I mean, that would just it be would one be of those funny. things you could just add it in. Like, I mean, the demon boy is allergic to his own soul. It's crazy. You'd have people tweeting, yeah. is that canon? I don't know. It's pouring yeah. through issues. Find one issue where he sneezes and then you're fine. It's... <laughs> but if I, could, um, if, I, if I could get on any of the shows right now, comic book-wise, that are out there, I'd definitely do Doom Patrol because it is... It is just a marvel. Like it's it's so good the way they break down the characters and everything. And the actors are great. The writing's great. Like I love that interpretation of Cyborg as well because mm -hmm. Cyborg's another one of my favorite characters of all time. And just the way they do it, it's it's really really good. No doubt about it. And what you can definitely see him in is Gotham Knights, which is going to be available sometime in 2022. We'll we'll figure yes, it out. Sometime, it'll, yeah. it'll be out in 2022. It already looks amazing. You've already seen it. DC fan, maybe another updated DC fandom in October. Maybe we're going to cross I, our I don't know. They don't tell me anything. <laughs> well, they don't tell us anything either. So we know we, we've got that in common for sure. It's Lone Morgan Siegel, man. Thank you so much for joining Thank me. You. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much. And if his enthusiasm alone for not just all things DC, but for Gotham Knights as well, doesn't get you excited for it. I I don't know what else to tell you. It's such a pleasure to talk to Sloan Morgan Siegel. And it's, it just sounds like he's got a lot of great stuff going on. Definitely keep you posted on all that. Again, thanks to Sloan for joining me this week. Up next, going to dive right into the reviews. Let's go to The Witcher and talk about Nightmare of the Wolf from Netflix. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing 
to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is comic book artist Eric Donovan, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This week we're going to do more than toss a coin to a witcher. We're going to talk about the witcher nightmare of the wolf, the Netflix animated film that I'm going to talk about. Spoiler filled now, so if you haven't seen it yet, make sure you keep that in mind. And what I love right off the bat about what this did is that it took us way back, right? So if you're a Witcher fan anyway, you're going to go further back than Geralt. You're going to go further back than what you what you're used to and really get to the backstory of some of these witchers, and especially Vesemir, because we get to see not only current-day Vesemir, I say current-day, grown-up Vesemir, and you get to see young Vesemir as well. And what this kid went through and what and how he chose to become a witcher and how it went when he was becoming a witcher, training as a child, and the relationship that he had with the, the, the man that actually took him in to become a witcher, Deglin, it was very, very interesting from youth up until adulthood as well. You, you say adulthood, but, you know, witchers don't age as long as quickly as humans do. So, you know, he's certainly matured enough, but at the same time, still very, very young compared to some of the other witchers. And, I mean, you understand how Vesemir became who he was as an adult, but all this, at the same time, you could, you could really look at Vesemir is an unlikable character if you wanted to. You know, he's cocky, he's brash, he doesn't really care about much, he's very self-absorbed sort of thing. You know, that's not necessarily person personality traits that you'd look for in someone that you really like, right? right? But at the same time, you get to see some of that vulnerability come out a little bit more. And you get to see him drawn out a little bit more and find out who he really is. And a lot of that is connected to Ileana. And how that relationship progresses as well. You know, basically leaving her behind in their youth. And is there guilt there with that? And that's something that needed to be dealt with. And a lot of this is Vesemir ultimately dealing with his past. Not to mention the monsters that are coming out. And yeah, there's some really cool monster slaying moments in this. And you get to find out the most interesting thing to me about this was about the hybrids. The monsters that are not ju- that that are all that are that have been created. And the big twist and this is the biggest spoiler that I could give you. So if you haven't seen it yet, this is the big spoiler. Finding out that the witchers were actually creating the beasts that they were slaying for money to me was the biggest wow moment of this movie and such a smart writing choice. Because that automatically creates a huge problem for the witchers across the board. And you'd understand why the humans would be upset about that, right? Or, or anybody else for that matter. The elves, the, on down the line, everybody's got to be upset about that. Because, you know, you've got these beasts that are going out there just killing people left and right. And who do you turn to for that? The witchers. But and then who are responsible for that? The witchers. And how do you know that you can trust them anymore, right? So then that ultimately sets up that huge final battle. And this movie escaped one big problem that I was worried about as things were going along. And that is that it felt too Castlevania-esque 
That's what it felt like to me. Because and, it, and early on, you thought it was going to be that, right? When Desimir and Tetra sort of team up reluctantly, right? You sort of kind of get those those Sypho vibes and Belmont vibes, right? You, you kind of got that a little bit, right? But then that totally gets turned on on its ear and you get the epic battle between Tetra and Vesemir at the end, which was really, really good in that illusion she creates. And, it, and Vesemir ultimately ends up being responsible for Ileana's death, which I thought was a fant- another fantastic choice because I did not see that coming at all. So this movie had a lot of different twists and turns along with it that I thought were really, really interesting. And it told a more deep story than I thought. And seeing the seeing almost the, I don't know if betrayal is the right word, but Vesemir looking to Deglin as the one person he thought he could really rely on and trust in the mentor relationship that they had, reluctantly maybe than it might have been, and what Deglin was ultimately responsible for, or oversaw anyway, and how Vesemir felt about that, really, I think, shapes the future of the Witchers, right? This was, if Nightmare of the Wolf serves as nothing else, it serves as a turning point in the Witcher experience, is for the lack of a better way of putting it. Obviously, yes, it's still for Cohen and Glory. It really is, and that comes straight from the logline from Netflix. But once Vesemir is in charge, he sort of takes a different angle, right, with the Witchers and the young kids. And Geralt, of course, being one of them, that was a nice little something that was thrown in at the end there. But this movie made a lot of smart choices. Was it slow at times? Yeah, there, there were certainly times when it dragged on a little bit or kept on some scenes a little bit too long, but ultimately the action was good. It was a very enjoyable experience. You had some great acting moments from Theo James as Vesemir, the great Jennifer Hale as Ileana, I thought was fantastic in this. We forgot, I forgot to mention Kitsu, who played a big role with Kari Walgren providing that voice. Graham McTavish showing why he is a voiceover legend, quite frankly, at this point. I mean, I know that he hasn't been doing it as long as somebody like Jennifer Hale, but when you do, when every role you are a part of is fantastic, you're reaching legendary status pretty damn quickly. So Graham McTavish, another tip of the cap to you. And overall, just a very, very good cast and very, very, very well done. Uh, Bo DeMeo, who was, the, who was wrote the screenplay deserves a ton of credit for how well this went as far as I'm concerned. So if we got more of these, I'd be excited. I mean, obviously, you want them, you want more of the Witcher live-action stuff, right? But if we got more of these animated movies, I would not be sad about that at all. This anime style really lends itself to the Witcher story very, very well, and I think Nightmare of the Wolf is a great example of that. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of The Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf from Netflix. Up next... Going to tackle the season six mid-season premiere of Supergirl. Let's keep doing spoilers as well. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Chris Vance from Supergirl, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, Cara. That is right, the mid-season premiere of Supergirl's final season is finally upon us. I want to give my spoiler-filled review 
of that return for Supergirl. And it just, so far to me, it feels like a final season that doesn't really feel like a final season. And, and I don't know, maybe you could consider that a good thing or you could consider that a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. I mean, in certain respects, it does, right? You have Kara getting to spend time with her dad, Zor-El, right before, you know, the final season hits. So, you know, you get that feel-good vibe for Kara. You also, on the flip side, get Nia struggling with what's going on with, you know, missing her mom and things like that. So that could also lead to things maybe for that character down the line post-Supergirl as well. And you actually see a little bit of hubris. And I love that they actually threw that line in the episode, too, from Zorel because he sees Earth headed down the same path as Krypton. There was a real environmental focus, actually, on this episode, saying, you know, that, hey, Earth's oceans are dangerously dirty and just nasty. And that's how things kind of went over the edge of Krypton and we exploded. So he goes all out to try and fix it, right? And when he can't, that really hits him hard. And, well, he tries to fix it. It goes horribly wrong. And it, and he, you know, there was a, a way to kind of safeguard things that happened. And Jean and Brainy were both like, eh, maybe we should pump the brakes on this. But zor was so insistent because of his guilt for what happened to Krypton. And his guilt to what happened to Kara, by extension, too. You see that get dealt with in the episode as well. That it kind of clouds the judgment so it just goes to show you that some of the smartest minds can still be clouded by hubris and i think that was a point that was made by this episode either purposely or not purposely you see that put on full display here in this episode and you also get to see some massive i mean massive ptsd from Kara when she goes after coming back from the phantom zone and then it gets thrust in her face by andrea rojas who expects her to just, you know, pump out this article about the phantoms attacking National City. And imagine the worst thing you've ever gone through that still gives you night sweats sometimes. And then your boss telling you that you needed to dive head first into all this and write an article about it. Yeah, not easy. Now, obviously, Andrea doesn't know the car is Supergirl, right? And all that good stuff. But at the same time, it's like, you know, talk about face your fears, whether you like it or not sort of thing. And Kara sort of realizes that. And Alex, if this doesn't give you another classic Kara and Alex moment, I love how they followed up what was young Kara and young Alex from their youth. They follow that up with an episode like this. You see the struggles that they went through when they were young. And now you see how far they've come as adults. And, you know, and Alex saying that the only way past it is through it. And that was such a great line. In this episode, I mean, imagine struggling. I've been struggling with some some personal things myself recently. And, and you know, you, you figure out, you know, how are you going to get past it? You go through it. And sometimes you just, it, it's weird that in an episode of Supergirl, you, you realize something like that. But, you know, that's something you can take with you in your everyday life. And that this this show has given us those moments over the years. You might not always agree with them, but... That is what this show, this show actually tries to tackle those things at times, which I think is really interesting. And even Lena and her quest to figure out what happened with her mom. You see that as well. So there was a lot of really raw emotional stuff in this episode. And I, and I didn't hate it at all. This is when Supergirl is at its best, when it can do things like this and then bring little lighthearted moments 
here and there to sort of lighten things up a little bit, I think was is really, really cool. This show does as well. It seems like in its final episodes, this show is finding its groove again and remembering what made us as fans love it in the first place. So I thought this was a really, really good return for Supergirl. And I also love the fact that it seems like they're going away from the whole Kara and William romance. You saw that in this episode. That made me very, very happy. As as some say, I do not ship that at all. I never have, and, and I can't see myself ever doing that. And and hopefully they're going to go in a different direction. Or maybe they just don't focus on well, the whole relationship thing with Carr at all because her character is interesting beyond her being in a relationship. I think that that's something that needs to be realized. And I know that some fans want to explore the, the Lena aspect of that story, but, you know, maybe if they were, if they had more time and this wasn't their final season, maybe you get there. I don't think you have to force the relationship angle on Kara at all. Like 100% at all. Her character doesn't need to be defined by that in any way. I know that there's, you know, I'm not saying that they shouldn't do it at all, but I kind of am at the same time. Like if you had more time and more seasons, sure, focus on that a little bit. But I don't think that that's the legacy of this character. That's not something that you need to focus on in a final season when you're trying to wrap everything up. So, you know, whether or not they focus on that, it won't be a deal breaker for me. But again, not something that I really think is necessary. And you saw what happened at the end, right? Maybe we're not done with Nixley. After all, and I, I that's another thing I certainly wouldn't hate, bringing her back for this final season. So it seems like there's a lot of things to tie up here. Not sure if we're gonna how many of them we're gonna get to or how this season is gonna wrap up, but I think this was an episode that was a reminder of just how much you love Supergirl for those emotional and lighthearted moments as well. And things that can just feel real from that show sometimes. So very well done in the season six mid-season premiere of Supergirl. And hey, that's going to do it for that spoiler-filled review of the season six mid-season premiere of Supergirl. Up next, let's go right to the comics, shall we? It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Robert Venditti, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you're looking for some nostalgia or something new, got them both for you this week with what we're reading. And going to start with that nostalgia in Superman 78, number one, from DC Comics, Robert Venditti writing this one, Wilfredo Torres on the art, the great Jordi Belair on the colors, AWL's Dave Lamphere on the letters. Now, this issue kind of takes a look at how Donner may have handled bringing Brainiac into his Superman story. So imagine yourself being transported back to the time when Richard Donner, the great Richard Donner, was making those Superman films, and what would happen if Brainiac had appeared in one of them. Now, the classic vibe is still there, especially with Clark Kent in this story. It really felt like the Christopher Reeve Clark Kent was jumping off the page at me. Art-wise, the look was a little bit different, of course, but I really, really love what they did with Clark Kent in this one. And, you know, everything going on at the Daily Planet was very, very similar as well. And then you get the incursion our Brainiac or one of the Brainiac bots that lands on Earth. And then, of course, Superman has to deal with that. And it's a little bit of a different, you know, vibe for Superman in this one. Of course, you know, giving you not trying to give too much away here or anything, but it was just a very interesting way 
that it was dealt with. And I think it was very time specific how it was dealt with as well because of the police response and everything around it, too. So that was really, really neat. I, I really felt like this was a good homage to what to what Donner's was would be thinking, you know, story wise on how to tell this particular story. I really love the character design for Brainiac. You can almost see how the practical effects would have been used on the screen for that. So it was very, very cool. Just all in all, I think this was a fun and solid first entry. I think that Venditti and, and company really, really just wanted to do justice to this story and these characters. You could tell that the entire creative team just happens to be fans of this. And how could you not be? Right. So, again, a really, really good start. Can't wait to see where things are going to be going in Superman 78 after this first issue. Then I decided to go over to Marvel Comics and Darkhawk number one. Brand new story from Kyle Higgins, who writes this one. Juanan Ramirez doing the art. Eric Arsenegia doing the colors. Sorry, Eric, for butchering your name. And VC's Travis Lanham doing the letters here. Iban Coelho and Jesus Umberto on the cover art as well. Again, apologies if I butchered anyone's name there. But imagine being a star basketball player. In your youth, because that's exactly who Connor Young is. He's the star basketball player. I'm going to say star. I'm talking NBA quality star here. Okay. And it looks like he's going to be in that mega superstar at such a young age. But a sudden medical diagnosis changes his entire life. And again, I'm not going to try to spoil too much here, even though this book has already been out. But I mean, that usually means bad news, right? You know, you get a diagnosis that's going to change your whole outlook on life. And all the talk is starting to get to him, quite frankly. And he's just a kid. Why wouldn't it get to him, right? If you thought you were on top of the world and all of a sudden you got some bad news that kind of sends you crashing back down tenfold, you, you, you might not handle it well, right? But Connor's actually destined for much bigger things. And he has no idea until he finds, and again, this might be the biggest spoiler that I'm going to give you here. He finds a mysterious object that's fallen from the sky. Now he is Dark Hawk. And what's interesting to me in the story is even though we're talking about a new character here, a new story, the name seems to be pretty well known within the story itself already. Now, how is that? Why is that? That's something that I'm sure that the story will get into at some point. Now, what he doesn't know, though, talking about Connor, is there's a big twist in the story that's coming. We see it at the end. Obviously, he doesn't know it. But boy, is this going to make things interesting going forward and that's one of the cool things that I really liked about this story was you know you're, you're setting me up and you give me a lot of great stuff when it comes to Connor and you give me a lot of emotional roller coaster moments and then you hit me with what you hit me with at the end that I'm not going to spoil and I'm like oh wow so that's going to complicate things for Connor at some point and just down the line in general I mean as far as there, there were a couple of things that weren't really a surprise to me. And one of them was kind of tied to that moment. You're like, oh, so those douchebags are responsible for this. Oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. But then it's that last reveal where you go, whoa, did not see that coming at all. And again, the art for this is spectacular. I thought the whole art team did a, just a stunning job with this. And even before the Darkhawk reveal, just the early pages of, of the of the basketball stuff and kind of what happens to Connor that leads up to his diagnosis and how that whole thing was handled from an art perspective. I thought really, really sold those moments as well. So very, very well done on everyone's part. And this one was one that I liked actually more 
than I expected. I mean, I like Kyle Higgins' work anyway, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to read this in the first place. But this one surprised me a lot, and I'm glad I liked it. Darkhawk number one from Marvel Comics. That's going to do for what we're reading up next. So there was a trailer that came out this week, pretty big, Spider-Man something. Yeah, we'll talk about that and plenty more next with Nerd News on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, yo, this is Cam Rush Johnson from the cast of Batwoman, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is the most Easter egg hunting I've seen outside of the month of April. It's time for Nerd News. I'm serious. I'm going to start things off with the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. Of course, the movie coming out only in theaters on December the 17th. And I, I, I will say that this, first of all, I never actually thought we'd get a trailer. I thought they really might just not give us a trailer at all, which has been great publicity up to this point. But, you know, the trailer's now shattered records for views in its first day. And fans are all over the place posting, you know, theories and Tom Holland saying it's only the tip of the iceberg and trying to spot Easter eggs and stuff like that. I'll give you the Green Goblin one. Okay, obviously, I got to give you Doc Ock because he shows up in the trailer. But I mean, we're digging here, right? For for Matt Murdock, Easter eggs because you see arms on a table when Peter's at the police station. The lightning saying that's Electro. I mean, maybe it is. Fans think that they've spotted lizards, scorpion, you know, and all this other stuff. And then you get the toy reveals, right? And maybe this is a spoiler alert where you've got Shriek. That's a part of that as well. And, and, and some others. So, I mean, maybe you did. But maybe you didn't. But this is one of those trailers that everybody is off the rails about. And everybody has an opinion. And even saying, you know, Doctor Strange wasn't really acting like Doctor Strange. And then the whole Mephesto thing comes, comes back into play again. And I'm like, we just got rid of that. Now we're going to be talking about it again. Here's the, And, you know, you want to talk about somebody screwing up the time, timeline. It looks like whoever it is. It, I'm assuming it is Doctor Strange. Really going to screw up the timeline, too, by the way. So so never mind what Sylvie did, what Wanda did. Let's talk about what Doctor Strange is getting ready to do. But this is when we really crack the multiverse wide open, right? Like, this is where, you know, maybe my Miles Morales theory pans out that I had several podcasts ago where I say that, you know, Miles Morales ends up having to be the Spider-Man in the MCU because of Sony in their now Spider-Man universe that they've created, but that's another rabbit hole for another day that we won't go down. Cause I want to talk about this trailer and it makes sense. You know, everything kind of played in line of how we thought it would, you know, Peter wanting people to forget that he's Spider-Man. And then he kind of decides, wait a minute. And I don't know if I want every, everybody to forget that I'm Spider-Man. And that's where the trouble comes in. Peter's indecisiveness and, how he chooses, and here's the other thing that kind of drove me nuts a little bit. It's like, you know, dude, just because they forget you're Spider-Man, you could still technically tell people after the fact, right? I mean, you could go back and tell a few people that you're Spider-Man that you want to know, like Aunt May and MJ and stuff like that. You could tell them. I mean, you probably shouldn't, but you could, right? There's there's a debate there too, But so that was just something. And I'm not trying to ruin the trailer for you. I'm just saying that's one of the things that I thought about. But... I mean, you want to talk about, you know, just mind-bending action, too, and just where the, the endless list of possibilities. You almost understand why the fan theories and stuff are getting out of control because this trailer only fueled that. And by the way, that was on purpose, too. They want you to be talking about this like this. They want you to be going on end- endlessly about who's in this. And let's say, just for the sake of argument, right, 
that Tobey Maguire and or Andrew Garfield are in this movie. I don't expect that to, to see that in a trailer at all. I think you got to leave some surprises, don't you? You got to leave some stuff. And I think this movie should actually leave a lot of stuff. Look how much talk they got about just one trailer. Do they need more chatter about this movie? They really don't. So I'm not saying there won't be another trailer. There probably will be. But with big reveals in it, maybe they do reveal Green Goblin because that was an almost obvious tease, right? But I don't know that you're going to get a ton more than that. So I wouldn't hold my breath for that reveal, but I wouldn't be, and I be, actually would be surprised if they did that. Either way, I mean, this might be one of the most hyped movies in a long, long time. And while I cannot wait for it, I just wish, I really hope that it doesn't get too overhyped. And then it doesn't live up to some fans' expectations. And they say, well, where was this? Where was that? I just hope we can enjoy Spider-Man No Way Home. And I'm, I'm very curious to see just how much of a game changer this is going to be, not just for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but for Sony's Spider-Man Universe as well. I also want to talk about Kate, which is going to be coming out on Netflix on September the 10th. And it's that, you know, she's po- she's been poisoned and now she's got like 14 hours to seek revenge on those that have poisoned her. But then at the same time, she kind of befriends the daughter of one of the people that she's killed because she's an assassin over the years. And there's a storyline there as well. But this this movie looks insane, doesn't it? You want to talk about action. It, it reminds me, you remember that movie from Jason Statham, Crank, and how just crazy, just 100% on the gas that movie was all the time? You combine that with like a Fast and Furious furious vibe, and then you work in a little bit of the professional there as well. You know, you got to go back a ways for that one. And that's how I feel about this movie, Kate. I just think that this is this one has a little something special about it. And when it first was talked about during Geeked Week, this was the one that stood out to me. Like, this could be really, really cool and interesting. And I'm very interested to see how twisty it's going to be see how many little twists and turns they're going to be in this thing. But if it's just a straight-up action movie that I can kick back and enjoy, I'm not going to be mad about that either. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what Kate has to offer on Netflix here in a couple weeks. I also want to talk about the trailer for the final season of Goliath, which is going to be coming to Amazon Prime Video on September the 24th. So Billy Bob Thornton is back, and so is his character of Billy. If you're a Goliath fan, you kind of know there was a little bit of a question mark regarding him. Well, he's, he's alive. He's here. He's actually going back. He's going to partner back up with Patty, who's played by Nina Arianda. And they are, you know, a prestigious law firm that's going to be taking on the opioid industry. But what I love about this trailer is that this is really Billy Bob Thornton versus J.K. Simmons. Because J.K. Simmons is going to play the head of this opioid company. And it just looks like it's going to be an all-out freaking war inside and outside the courtroom. They had that little Days of Thunder-ish type scene in that where they're both driving race cars on a track, and which I really, really loved. And it just seems like it's going to be not just a battle of wits, but a how far are you willing to go type of situation. I think this is going to be a really, really neat finale that's going to be coming up. And I mean, we've already had the, the Bosch finale that hit on from Amazon Studios, and now we're going to have Goliath ending this year as well. It's going to be it's going to be a wild ride for a couple of the series that have been around for a while on Amazon Prime Video. I think this one's going to be really really good. The latest Arrowverse crossover has been revealed 
by the CW, and it's actually going to be starting on the Flash Season 8 premiere, which is going to happen in November. And it's going to be a five-part arc. It's going to be very emotional, according to Eric Wallace, who released a statement when this whole thing was coming out. Now, what's interesting is the names that they're bringing back. You got Black Lightning coming back. Cress Williams is going to have Shiloh Lee. going to be Sentinel. Tom Cavanaugh is going to reprise this role as Eobard Thawne, Reverse Flash. Good guy or bad guy? We don't know. Anti-hero? We don't know. Neil McDonough is going to be Damian Dark again. And again, you th- Damian Dark seems to have turned the corner based on what we saw in Legends of Tomorrow. So again, friend or foe. Catherine McNamara being back as Mia Smoke, I think is super interesting. Because now that things haven't worked out for a couple of series now that were planned for the CW and the Arrowverse, does that maybe breathe life back into these characters and Green Arrow and the Canaries a little bit? I don't know. This It's just very interesting. And I, I'm not sure I want to open that door yet, but we'll, we'll keep that in mind. Brandon Routh's going to be back as the Atom. Ray Palmer, of course. And then Javicia Leslie's going to have Batwoman in this thing. Osiris Chow is going to be play, is going to be Ryan Choi once again. So where is that thing going to be headed? Of course, Team Flash going to be a part of this as well. Basically, it's going to be called Armageddon. There's going to be a major alien threat. Barry and Iris need an assist. So they call some friends over to help them. And that, that's the, you know, that's the simplified version of it. But they said, they said this is going to be some of the most emotional Flash episodes ever. And I'm thinking, really? After everything that's happened on that show. And now you're telling me these are going to be the most emotional, Flash, some of the most emotional Flash episodes ever? That's a loaded, loaded thing to say. And it scares me to my core. For these characters. So I talk about Catherine McNamara being back as Mia Smoke. For how long? They could kill her off in this crossover and end all that speculation with just one swift move. I do love that it's going to be a five-part thing, though. I do do love that we're still going to have that expanded five-part experience. I think this will be good for Batwoman, for Javicia Leslie's character of Ryan Wilder to get in and kind of mix it up with the team a little bit. Because Batwoman certainly struggled ratings-wise Last season, I think part of it was that there were just so many fans that didn't want to give that show a chance after everything that went went down with Ruby Rose and Kate Kane and they tried to replace her. I think there was just a lot of fans that didn't want to give Batwoman a chance and had a decent season. So maybe getting Javicia as Ryan Wilder out there in this crossover kind of gets fans to see, oh, hey, she's all right. Maybe gets more people to watch Batwoman. So I'm very interested to see how that works out. But this thing's just going to, I mean, Pretty much all the Arrow crossovers, Arrowverse crossovers have been great. I can't think of one that I that I really thought wasn't good. I just, after Crisis on Infinite Earths, you wonder, okay, how are they going to be able to do one of these again? And now we're doing one again. So how it's going to work out and what kind of a story. And alien threat, that again is a very loaded thing. That could be almost anything, right? And what kind of threat brings this group together is another thing that interests me quite a great deal so i cannot wait to see exactly how they're going to pull this thing together and how soon are we going to find out what this alien threat is because you you know it could be a lot of different things i mean it could be anything from dominators to lobo right you just don't know so i mean hey shock me Arrowverse fans and eric wallace let's see what you got speaking of dc this according to cinelinks which has since been confirmed by multiple outlets, by the way, a Black Canary movie is coming to HBO Max. And yes, it's going to be that Black Canary that you know from Birds of Prey and the fabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn. Journey Smollett 
is going to be returning in that title role. Misha Green going to write the script. This, of course, adds to the movie slate, which is growing now in HBO Max. You've got Batgirl. You've got Blue Beetle, both of, of whom have also been cast. Check out po- past podcasts for that. This one, though, if there was a character in that group that deserved a little bit more storyline, it was Black Canary. Now, there's rumors already floating about a possible Huntress spinoff as well. I would pump the brakes on that. This character was the most interesting of the bunch as far as story that still needed to be told either post Birds of Prey or pre-Birds of Prey. And they haven't quite announced exactly which way they're going to go with that yet. But I mean, with Lovecraft Country not continuing on HBO, that sort of opens the door for Journey to step back into this role and focus on something that, quite frankly... I would think would be a ton of fun for her. I think that she would have, I'm sure she jumped at the chance to do this again, because why wouldn't she? Right. I I don't, I see no reason to want to, to not want to do this because that is a character that you could make multiple movies of. Quite frankly, black Canary has always been a very interesting character, not just with green air, but on her own as well. It's nice to finally see more and more people realizing that. And now she's going to get her own spotlight, which I think is really, really neat. No release dates or anything like that, but of course I'll keep you posted when we know what's going on. Finally, I wanted to talk about the first look photos from the Cowboy Bebop live action series, which is going to be coming to Netflix. Now we know the date. It's going to be November the 19th. So right before you cut the turkey, that's when you're going to be seeing that thing. You look at the photos, though. With John John Show, they nailed it. They nailed it with Spike. I'm sorry. I know it's just a first look photo. I don't care. They nailed it. And then you've got you've got Jet, you've got Faye, Valentine. They just look they look the part for sure. How much can you tell from a photo? Not a ton. But the aesthetics all look really good around them too. And you know, they've got the synopsis up there, you know, they're bounty hunters, they're cowboys trying to outrun their past, sort of thing, and they're all deadly for their own reasons, right? But then there ends up being more to it than that. And therein lies your story. Now, if you're familiar with the anime, you kind of already know that. Not going to spoil it for anybody that isn't. But, I mean, if you want to talk about just aesthetics and looking the part, I mean, I mean, come on. John Cho's hair is, is out of control, and that's a great thing. I'm sorry. They, they, they got the Spike look so right for this series. And to me, you get the composer back that you need, the original composer from the anime working on the live-action series, the aesthetically, the characters look right, look the way that fans want them to. This really gives you more and more check marks of thinking maybe they can pull this off. Because I know there was a hesitation there, and I understand that. But you got to have faith because let's face it, Netflix has a pretty good track record with stuff like this. Not perfect. I'm not saying they're perfect, but I think they have a pretty good track record for adaptation. So that's why my radar is up on this being a very good potential to be something that we're going to be seeing for a long time. So Cowboy Bebop starting on Netflix on November the 19th. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, I want to thank Sloan Morgan Siegel for stopping by to just, you know, talk about comics and all kinds of other stuff. And of course, coming up in Gotham Knights as Tim Drake, you know, we're still waiting for a firm release date on that. But, you know, as it gets closer, we'll, we'll keep you posted on that. That's why you got to keep your eyes on downandnerdypodcast.com and also follow us on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, 
You never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Nowadays, trends and news cycles change faster than we can blink. But there are some things that withstand the test of time. And if you're looking for a connection to something timeless, and maybe also a glimpse of life at a slower pace, I believe everyone can relate to the very human experiences explored in Jane Austen's novels. And that's where I come in. My name is Alison Larkin. I'm a writer, comedian, and narrator and host of The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin. I spent a lot of my childhood in the part of England where Jane Austen lived and wrote, and now that I live in the States, nothing gives me a sense of homecoming quite like narrating her books. On this show, you'll listen to award-winning narration. I'll give myself a pat on the back for that as well as conversations with actors, writers and other fascinating people who all share a passionate love for Jane Austen. So please, join me as we embark on a wonderful journey through Jane Austen's work. Be sure to listen and subscribe to The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.